You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado from our Advent series, God Came Near. For more information and audio content, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. We're so glad that you're here with us on Christmas Eve. And uh, we're here, we're gathered to remember and to celebrate the most monumental event in all of history, the birth of Jesus Christ into this world. So would you please bow your heads with me as we pray and open God's word. Heavenly Father, God of the universe, thank you that you created us, Lord, but thank you that you came to us. Thank you that you redeemed us. Lord, this message of Christmas, may it really sink down into our hearts tonight. May we understand why this is such good news of great joy for all people, including us. And Lord, may you fill our hearts with rejoicing. May we be filled with the true spirit of Christmas as we reflect on Jesus and his coming into the world. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of tonight's message is Good News of Great Joy for All People. Now I wonder as I think about that title and about that idea of good news, I wonder how many of you feel the need for that in these days that we live in. You feel the desire and the need for some good news in these times. It seems that there's no lack of bad news in the world right now. We've got a a rise in global terrorism. There's social unrest. There's racial tension. Our world is facing a refugee crisis with staggering numbers of displaced people. And on the one hand, there's this great desire to help these people. And on the other hand, there's fear about who these people are and what their intentions might be. On a more personal level, at Christmas time, tensions go up and things become emotionally charged for a lot of people. So all that to say, it sure does feel like we could use some good news right about now, doesn't it? I read one person who suggested one solution. Here was his solution that he wrote. He said, if you're anything like me, you're sick of tuning in to the news and seeing awful stories about evil people doing horrible things. So here's what I propose. A new show called Good News. It will be a program that only covers positive things, community events, the funny waiter at IHOP, the silly things your dog does, the wacky third grade teacher, and the things that really bring people together. Not a bad idea, right? And honestly, he's not the first person who's ever thought of this. But essentially what he's proposing is that ignorance is bliss. That the less you know, the happier you will be. That we'd all be a lot happier if we could just stick our heads in the sand, ignore the bad stuff, and think only happy thoughts. The problem is that if you do that, well then maybe you will think less about negative things, but it won't actually change anything that's wrong with the world. It doesn't actually fix what's broken at all. It just ignores it. You see, the first step in real and lasting change, whether personally or in business or even spiritually, the first step to real and lasting change is honest assessment of where you're really at. And so the question is, in this world that we live in, is there really any good news that is of true consequence, right? Good news that isn't just trivial, Good news that actually means something, good news that matters, good news that actually makes a difference and brings about change, lasting change in our lives and in our world. Is there such good news? I'm here to tell you today that there is such good news, and it's the reason we're gathered right now on this Christmas Eve. In our second scripture reading, which Nadia read, we heard the pronouncement of the angels to the shepherds, in which they said this, they said, fear not, for we bring you good news of great joy, which is for all people. The news they heard that night is the good news that changes everything. 
It, it is the most truly good news that the world has ever known. And it is my pleasure tonight to share that good news with you and tell you what is it that is so exceedingly good about it. So that's our outline for those of you who like outlines. Three points to remember. Why is this good news such good news? Here's three reasons. Number one, because it's actually historical events. Number two, it's such good news because it's the news that your greatest need has been met. And thirdly, it's the news of something which can replace your deepest fears with great joy. So let's begin by looking at this. First of all, the reason this is such good news is because it is the news actual historical events. When the angel said this, he said, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. That word that he used, good news, it's actually one word in the original language, and it's a specific word which elsewhere in the Bible is translated as gospel. And that's what the gospel is. The gospel is good news of actual events that have taken place in history. It's not once upon a time. It's not a long time ago in a land far, far, or a galaxy far, far away. It's not fanciful stories of myths and fairy tales. It's the report, it's the announcement of actual historical events, which if they are true, and they are historically true, then they change everything. The word translated good news, it's a particular word which was reserved for specific use in that time, in that culture. The word was reserved for the kind of news that we would call a game changer, something that changes everything. It was reserved for military victories. It was reserved for political changes of regime. It was the kind of news like, we won, or there's a new king, or guess what, you're free now. It's the kind of monumental event. This is the reporting of monumental events which change the status of the person who hears them. They change the status of everybody in a major way. And here is this big announcement, this big news. There's been a birth. The story begins by giving us a historical setting of actual events. This happened during the time when Caesar Augustus sent out a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was a specific event which took place at a particular time in history. And honestly, this is what makes the Christian faith unique among world faiths, is that it is based on historical events which are not only bore witness of by the writers of these books, but by other historians, and archaeology bears witness to it as well. The birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A while back, a news publication published a list of the 10 most influential people who have ever lived in human history. Now, I'm sure I'm not going to surprise you if I tell you that number one was Jesus. The other names on the list included people like Napoleon Bonaparte, William Shakespeare, George Washington, Adolf Hitler, the Prophet Muhammad, and Alexander the Great. But the thing is, you look at this list, these are, everybody pools their ideas, who were the most influential, most important people who ever lived, and none of them even hold a candle. None of them even come close to the influence and the allegiance that Jesus Christ has had and continues to have to this day in the world. He is without question the most significant person who has ever lived. And that begs the question of why. What was it about this man that was so special? Jesus, when you look at his life too, he had none of the markers that we would look for, that this world looks for, that tell us this will be a successful person. He was born to a poor peasant girl 
from a backwater town who got pregnant before her marriage was finalized, which no matter how much she would later try to explain how that all happened, no matter what, it would leave her stigmatized for the rest of her life. And her son would be stigmatized for the rest of his life. He never traveled more than 150 miles away from home. He never wrote a book. He never held political office. He never even owned a home. He had none of the markers that we would look for to say, this will be a successful person. He had none of the marks of greatness. From all outward appearances, he appeared to be someone of no consequence. But out of obscurity came the most influential person who has ever lived. And it reminds us of something that speaks to us as well. And that is this, that God loves to bring glory and salvation into your life in ways that you would have never expected. So then what was it that made Jesus so important? So important that today, on this day, and tomorrow, billions of people are celebrating the fact that he came into this world. The answer is right here in the text, and it brings us to our second reason why this news is such good news, and that's this, because it is the news that your greatest need has been met. Here's what's so special about this child who was born in these humble circumstances. We read in verse 11 of Luke chapter 2, Today is born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You see three titles given to him there, Savior, Christ, and Lord. Three titles which are very important. They tell us who he was and why his coming is good news of great joy for all people. First of all, he's called Savior. Now, it's really interesting if you consider the historical context that this was spoken into because one of the reasons it's interesting is because this happened during the reign of Caesar Augustus. I just want to take a little second to tell you a few things about Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was the first true Roman emperor. His actual name was Caius Octavius, and he was the nephew of Julius Caesar. And Caius Octavius was involved in the overthrow of the Roman Republic, which was governed, as you might remember, by the Senate, and he helped establish the Roman Empire, And then after he helped establish it, he ruthlessly cut down the other leaders until he alone was left as the sole ruler of the empire. In fact, some of you might be tracking with me, but you might know that that is the storyline that George Lucas used as the basis for Star Wars, right? The Republic is overthrown by the empire. That's the story here. And so Caius Octavius, when he came to power, he gave himself a fancy new name. He called himself Caesar Augustus. And by the way, that word Augustus, that name, it means of the gods. It means to be revered or worshipped. Caesar Augustus was the first Roman Caesar to declare that he was a deity and demand worship from his subjects. Archaeologists have uncovered inscriptions from the time of Caesar Augustus, and this was the the title that they gave him at the time. They called him this, Caesar Augustus, Savior of the World. It's quite the title. Now, who do you think ordered for those inscriptions to be made? Of course, it was the Roman government, which, of course, was controlled by Caesar Augustus himself. This is how he wanted to be known. He wanted to be known as a god, as a man who was also a god, and he wanted to be known as the Savior of the World. In many ways, Caesar Augustus was a political savior for the Roman Empire. He brought about the very famous Pax Romana, Romana, you know, the the great peace of Rome. Stability, he brought prosperity to the empire. But yet there was a sense in which, despite all those things, people at that time hungered for, they longed for, something more than a political savior. And I think that's true in our day as well. We all want political solutions to the problems in our world. But what we must realize is that deep down inside, we need something 
more than that. Our greatest need is for a different kind of salvation, not just political solutions, not just economic solutions. We need a deeper salvation. So here was Caesar Augustus who proclaims himself to be the savior of the world. And yet the proclamation of good news was that a greater savior had been born, a true savior who would bring real salvation. What kind of person could this be? We're told the Christ the Messiah, the one whom God has been promising to send ever since the beginning of time, the one who will come and set people free from the curse of sin and death, that true freedom that they ultimately need. In the book of the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah says this about the Messiah who's to come. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, he says, The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. That's interesting because where it says deep darkness, in the original text, you know what that says? It says the death shadow. And if you're familiar uh, with that phrase, you might be because in the 23rd Psalm, you know this very famous Psalm, it says this, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The death shadow, that's the idea here. It's that same word, deep darkness, the death shadow. Quite often in the Bible, death and darkness are linked as well as light and life. So it says here, Upon those who are living in the shadow of death, a light has flashed. Something has happened that changes your destiny. Something has happened that is a complete game changer. Something that changes everything. Now, who are these people who live in the death shadow, who live in the shadow of death? Well, guess what? That's you. That's me. That's us. We are those people who live in the shadow of death. Imagine this, for example. Tomorrow for Christmas... You bake a turkey or, or maybe a ham, right, in the oven, and it takes hours. You let it cook in there, all the juices. It gets all nice and warm and, and juicy. And so then you take it out of the oven, and you set it on the table, and, and you leave it there. But instead of eating it, you decide you're just going to leave it on the table. Well, what happens if you just take it away from the source of energy, and you just leave it there sitting on the table? Well, after about four hours, it will cool off completely. It won't be warm anymore. After about four days, it will begin to smell bad. After about four weeks, you'll no longer be able to inhabit your home. And after about four months, even your neighbors are going to be calling health and human services on you because the smell will be getting to their houses. So why is that? What is wrong with this turkey that it's going bad like this? Well, obviously, just left to itself, it will lose energy and it will break down. And guess what? That's your future. That's my future. That's us. It takes a little bit longer for us to do that, but that's where each and every one of us are headed. We're like a turkey taken out of the oven and just set on the table. And and it's just a matter of time. We're losing energy, and we are living with this inevitability. We are living in the shadow of death. The day is coming for each and every one of us when whether suddenly or or you know, slowly, whether expectedly or unexpectedly, your number will come up, your debt will come due, and your life will be over. My wife and I just had a baby six days ago. She's six days old today. And, and, you know, you just look at this little child and you think, well, life is a gift, isn't it? it? This life that comes into the world, it brings about joy and light and all these wonderful things, hope into the world. But along with every life comes this inevitability that eventually... The shadow of death will overcome it. That eventually death will touch that life. That pain and hurt and sickness and eventually death will take that life because each and every one of us, we live in the death shadow. We live under the shadow of death. 
And maybe you say, well, hey, look, I'm just going to live my life to make the world a better place for those who come after me. That's all I'm going to do. Okay, but think about that. How long is that going to last? Yeah, you live to make the world better for the generations who come after you, but for how long? Because even the sun is losing energy, which means that it's just a matter of time before sooner or later there won't be anything anymore, there won't be anyone to remember anything or anything that ever happened. So then what is the point of anything? What hope is there? What meaning is there in any of this? We're all just living a few decades of life in deep darkness under the shadow of death. But here's the good news. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. The people who dwell under the shadow of death, a light has shone upon them. For us who live under the death shadow, a light has shone. Something which gives life, something which breaks through the dark cloud of sin and gives life. What is it? Here it is. That same chapter. Unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forward and forevermore. This is the reason we can have hope, because a child has been born. And not just any child, four titles are given to this child. Did you catch those? And these are titles which can only be given to God. Two of them can obviously not be given to anyone but God. The other two, it's implied. So he's God, but yet he's born, which means that he's a person, but yet he's God. So this child is obviously human, but yet he's born as a child, but he's obviously divine because he's the mighty God and the everlasting Father. Who is this? This is who Jesus is. He's God come to us as a human being. The incarnation, God becoming human in order to save us, the true Savior of the world. At a time when a man named Augustus sought to make himself God, sought to declare that he was the Savior of the world, God became a man in order to be the true Savior of the world. And if this is true, if this is true that Jesus of Nazareth, as the Bible says, was actually God come to us in human flesh to give us eternal life and to save us from eternal death, then what does that mean? You know what it means? One thing it means is this. You can't simply like him. You can't simply be fond of him. You can't simply say, oh, I look up to him. If it's true, there are only three appropriate responses, and these are the same responses that everyone had who met Jesus in the flesh and heard his claims during his life. Either they hated him and wanted to kill him, and eventually did, or they were threatened by him and wanted to stay far away from him, or they fell down and worshipped him and gave him every single part of their lives. They embraced him and gave him their highest allegiance and said, you're the reason that I do everything that I do. So people either hated him, or they ran from him, or they worshipped him and gave him their highest allegiance. But the one thing that no one was, was indifferent. If Jesus is really God, then the only right response is to worship him. But if Jesus is merely human, well, but if Jesus is God become human, then what does that mean for us? It means many things. It means that we have a God who understands. It means that we have a God who cares about us so much that he intentionally became like us. He intentionally associated with the poor, with the stigmatized. He came under the shadow of death and he suffered on our behalf. 
For unto us a child is born, a son is given. It's a gift, the ultimate gift. He came to meet our ultimate need, our greatest need, to save us from the shadow of death and eternal darkness, to make a way for us to have eternal life by giving his life in exchange for ours. This is the salvation we really need. Jesus once asked the question, he said, what does it benefit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? You see, that's why our greatest need is not for political solutions or political saviors. It's something much greater. We need the redemption of our lives and the salvation of our souls. And Jesus, as the divine Son of God, came into the world. He was born in order that he might die so that through his death, we who live in the shadow of death might live and have eternal life. You see, this is the reason why the news of Jesus' birth is such good news. Because it's the news that our greatest need has been met. And the third thing, third reason why this is such good news is this. Because it's the news which can replace your deepest fears with great joy. You see, the first reaction of the shepherds to the announcement of the good news, it says that they were filled with great fear. But the nature of the message that came was this. That the Savior had been born. That Christ the Lord had come. It was a message that was meant to replace fear with great joy. You see, and that's true for me and you as well. The reason the gospel is such good news is because it has the power to replace your deepest fears with great joy. Christmas is the answer to the question, how much does God love me? Well, this is how much he loves you. He loves you so much that he traded the glory of heaven for a dirty stable. He traded omnipotence for impotence. He traded a crown of glory for a crown of thorns. He traded a throne for a cross. That's how much he loves you, and that is what Christmas is about. When you really understand and embrace what that means for you, here's what it does. It replaces your deepest fears with great joy. Whether it's the fear of death, whether it's the fear of failure, whether it's the fear of insignificance or the fear of being alone, whatever your deep fears are, the story of Christmas, the truth that God came near in order to save you, speaks to each and every one of those fears and it replaces them with great joy. It has been said that the chief mark of a Christian is the absence of fear and the presence of joy. In a world and a society that is so much driven by fear, the message of Christmas, the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. It is good news that replaces your fear with definite hope and great joy. And here's the thing I'd like to leave you with. The proclamation of this good news of great joy for all people. Notice at this point when they heard it, the point where we left off, It was still only a proclamation. Basically, it was just information. In order for this information to mean anything, to do anything, to make any difference in the lives of these shepherds, they had to do something with it. They had to take this information and do something with it. In many ways, you who are here tonight, you're in the same spot that these shepherds were in. You're very much like them. Like them, you have heard some information, a proclamation about some historical events. You've heard a message that your greatest need has been met. You've heard news which, if true, could replace your greatest fears with definite hope and deep joy. So what are you going to do with that information? How are you going to respond to that information? Well, I'd like to show you how the shepherds responded. Let's read uh, the rest of the story. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. If not, please just listen as I read to you. Luke chapter 2, verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. 
And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. How did the shepherds respond to this information? First of all, they searched it out to see if it was really so. Secondly, once they were convinced that it was indeed so, then they worshiped. And thirdly, they told others. When they realized that this news was so good, that it was good news of great joy for all people, then how could they keep that to themselves? They searched it out to see if it was so. That when they came to believe it was so, then they worshiped, and then they shared that news with others so they could have great joy as well. May we go and do likewise. Amen? Merry Christmas. Would you please stand with me and pray and sing one last song? Lord, we thank you for this news that is great joy for all people. Lord, I pray for every one of us here tonight that it would truly be that in our lives, that this wouldn't just be information, that it wouldn't remain a proclamation for us, but Lord, that this message would become more than that, that it would become in our hearts and in our lives great joy. Lord, we thank you, that, thank you for this Christmas. And we, as we go now to celebrate in different ways, Lord, we, we seek to honor you with the ways that we do that. So we pray that you would be honored this Christmas Eve. We thank you so much for your coming. Thank you that you fill our hearts with great joy. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in northern Colorado from our Advent series, God Came Near. For more information and audio content, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com.